Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are talk full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold said so. If you're gonna blitz, come strong. But don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. We're less than three weeks away from the 2019 season opener. We've got one scrimmage in the books. Injuries to talk about as camp rolls on. We're in the thick of it, gentlemen, so let's not waste any time and get right into this week's show. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. Matt, how are you, sir? Doing well. How about yourself? Wonderful. And lifetime longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL when he was done with football. Got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree Whenever he gets that T-ring back, he will wear it proudly, I promise. But nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, you're a black card member. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thanks for the intro, brother. Let's get a couple of things out of the way. There was some confusion. I saw a thread on the flagship message board of Horns 24-7 about the the podcast date. I don't know what happened. I went to update something, and apparently it changed the date, so – Apologize if everybody thought you were getting a new episode and you didn't, but you will get a fresh episode this week. We're recording it right now. So a little technical snafu, just overlooked that. You thought they got a bonus blitz, Mm -hmm. huh? Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know what? It's not a bad idea, man. Bonus blitz. Hey, we we had Mike Roach and I dropped one of those. Did uh, you? And we'll chop it up with Mike talking recruiting later in this show. Uh, When Bajon Robinson committed, we dropped a bonus episode of the podcast. I like that, Don. Yeah. Stay tuned for bonus blitzes, baby. Want to thank, idea. want to thank everybody for your continued support of the show. However, you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and the Android Store, Stitcher. However, you get this show, we thank you so much that you're listening to it, that you enjoy it. Don't forget to give to leave. Don't forget if I can talk right today to leave us a review, like us. Five stars is preferable. All of your support is appreciated. We've got an issue with TuneIn right now. If you're a TuneIn listener, Matt and I will work on getting that fixed. But other than that, thank you guys so much for your continued support of the Blitz. Rod, there's no easy way to segue into this, uh, no easy way to bring it up. So yeah, I want to just yield the floor to you. Uh, the untimely passing of Daryl Drake, unsuspected, over the weekend. Uh, Tom Herman was a little bit shook by it, you could tell, in the, the press conference following the scrimmage yeah. uh, on Sunday. Uh, saw Nathan Vasher, and Nathan Vasher was a teammate of yours. He was around mm-hmm. Daryl Drake for a long time. Uh, you know, Nasty Nate was, was shook up after practice because that, that was right around that. Everybody just it happened. Uh, it all happened Sunday morning. Yep. Uh, we've had... Sloan Thomas, Roy Williams, and B.J. Johnson all on this podcast. Those guys have shared their Daryl Drake stories from over the years. Rod, I just want to give the floor to you. Uh, none of us can speak about Daryl Drake the way you can. So what would you say about uh, one of your former coaches at Texas? Uh, he was obviously an awesome coach. I mean, get that out of the way. I think that's understood considering the guys he coached, like Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, he was mm-hmm. with the Pittsburgh Steelers most recently. Yes, it coached crazy Antonio Brown, too. Uh, but we know his resume here at Texas. But he was an even – Better man. Awesome coach, but an even better man. 
And, you know, it's weird, you know, as I get older, you see these stories about, you know, you watch like the Pro Football Hall of Fame and you see these guys talk about their connection, you know, with the coach. You know what I mean? Yeah. They had from years ago. Like, oh, no, man, uh, coach so-and-so, he really changed my life. That was Daryl Drake to like so many guys I knew. Uh, I was literally talking to Bo Skis about Daryl Drake. It was crazy. Like on Friday, I was talking to Bo, That's and he was literally saying, "Hey man, he was, he had just invited Coach Chambers up because he owns some property up there in Colorado, which is really nice. And he has the coaches come up, hang out, and visit. And he was like, "Yeah, Coach Drake came up here. I got to get Coach Drake back, man. We had a good time." And literally, of course, over the weekend, we hear the news. Yeah. And, you know, all the time I hear, hear, I used to hear guys talk about, oh, man, uh, me and Coach Drake, we were kicking it. I'm talking about way after they were done. You know what I mean? Yeah. They were kicking it Our with Coach Drake. We've had, we've had many players come yeah. on and say that, you know, I haven't seen since uh, Vasher's wedding and Coach Drake was there, stuff yeah. like that, you know? You know, that relationship you have, once Drake considered you to be family and he coached you, man, he hung, I mean, it was crazy. He hung out with those guys. Like, I mean, 10, 15 years after they were done, he was at their weddings and, you know, he was going on vacation with guys. They became grown men and became friends. You know, that kind of relationship like you, you have with your father, right? You, at first, he's there to, to scold you and to teach you lessons. But sooner or later, you and your pops, y'all share a drink together. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then you want for that moment where you can complain about your wife with your dad and complain about the kids to your dad. And, you know, he was one of those guys. And I, I remember every time I, mean, I was with the Bears um uh for a while and you know coach drake was uh he you know he was with the bears for a little minute too and um i just remember him having that really close intimate bond with almost every player he coached and i i was a db so i talked i talked to coach akina over the weekend um because i i hit him up as soon as i heard the news because he was one of the guys i initially thought about cause I thought about who's that coach to me and coach akina's that guy to me right. you know I mean? he's one of those guys so i hit up coach Akina and he was devastated and we just talked about how you know, we would have these one-on-ones. Like, I'm not, and they were just legendary between Roy, BJ, Sloan, myself, uh, Quentin Jammer, Huff Daddy. I mean, it was, you know, it was Nathan Vasher. It was the best of the best, and it was on a big stage every time. And I remember Coach Drake, he would always start the trash talk. Like, we, it would just be quiet and hanging out and just coaching, you know, Coach King, like, hey, Babers, get your hips down. Make sure you sink your hips when you're getting out of your frack, man, you know. Just, just coaching techniques. And then Coach Drake would literally, somebody would get beat on a, a skinny post or a six route, and he would go over and just dog the DB. Like, yeah, man, that's what I'm talking about. Did you dirty? You need to go back to work. You ain't gonna be able to play at this level. You playing like that? And he would just and Coach Aquino would come to our aid, and then they would get into it, and then basically one on one become would become this this battle royal where everybody was talking trash and getting mad and angry. And then after one on one, he would always come up to DB and go, "That's what I'm talking about, baby. I had to get y'all hyped and ready to go. I want my boys going up against the best angry DBs. That's what I like to see." And he was like, "It's made us all better." And that's what kind of coach he was. They didn't, you know, I mean, that's what he wanted to make it fun. He wanted to bring out the best in everybody. So I miss Drake already. Uh, and he will be missed. I mean, his presence was undeniable. So um, rest in peace and uh, yeah, thoughts and prayers with his family, too. Lee Jackson is how we all found out because Lee Jackson has a, a daughter by, uh, you know, his daughter is with Drake's daughter. So he had a baby with drink family relation yeah 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 when you brought it up there just the way that he was almost like a, a peer but also a father figure and also a he friend it like off. the embodiment like it off. out of all the players that i've heard you or any of the texas guys talk talk about it's basically there were two 
coaches that were like, it would seem like Brewster and Drake were the guys that connected with those players. And the most stories that you hear are those two type of guys. And like when we had BJ Johnson on, I remember just uh, at the beginning of Longhorn Blitz when we get all these players and get some nuggets of info to ask about. And one guy just said, just ask about Coach Drake. And he's like, basically, if you ask about Coach Drake, there's all the (laughs) Coach Drake stories. And one of these days, I'll pull them up. Like if you go find the the first time we had BJ Johnson on back during the SoundCloud days if you go like five and a half minutes in and it starts with him talking about that chemistry between the DBs and Akina and then Drake's wide receivers that you oh, just man. talked about and then how it boiled over and BJ has a great story about those two at the beginning of the Colorado Big 12 championship game so we'll have to gather up all the Drake stories at some point and get them for all the great listeners. Stories for Drake, man. Uh, I have nothing to add Rod you said it as well as anybody could so yeah uh, Great yeah, way to pay, tri- pay tribute to one of your uh, one of your former coaches on the forty. Uh, no easy way to segue out of that either, yep. but we got camp news to talk about. Let's go ahead and deal with the injuries because you know while it seemed like Keontae Ingram was going to need a leg amputation and Caden Stearns might be playing on a peg leg, given how <laughs> everybody reacted to the injuries, we do know now Caden Stearns has a rod. This is a mouthful. A low grade high ankle sprain. Yeah, low grade. And Keonta Ingram's dealing with a bone bruise in his knee. Both those guys expected to be ready. They should be ready, according to the Texas medical staff, for the Louisiana Tech game. But I'm guessing if you're Tom Herman, if you're Craig Niver, Todd Orlando, Stan Drayton, anything involved parties, you've probably seen the last of Keonta Ingram and Caden Stearns in you know physical. 11-on-11 settings in camp. Agreed. Uh, Neither one of those guys have anything to prove in terms of evaluation. Uh, Right now it's just about them getting to the point where they can execute the schemes and execute – uh, you know what the coaches are asking them to do. We know Caden Stearns and Keontae Ingram can do that. They probably won't be as polished as early because I'm I'm assuming for the next two weeks before they start game uh, prep for that week that um, that basically those guys are going to be in bubble wrap and they may just be doing rehab and stuff like that until game week. I honestly, I probably, I probably would keep them out till game week. I, I mean, I don't know their, you know, the the you know, I don't know the timeline and you know exactly all this stuff. I know it's a, the bone bruise for Keontae Ingram, right? Is that what it is? Yeah, bone bruise. So I don't know the timeline on that. I'm not a doctor, but I I would assume that both of those guys, because of their value, they're in bubble wrap until game week, and game week is. What, in two weeks, basically? I, 12 days. Initially, kind of what we were told at Horns 24-7, just getting some of the info before you know, Texas released the injury report, was it was going to be probably a week before those guys were going to be back at practice, which at that point, by, so by the time they get back, you're already in La Tech prep anyway. I said, you're close to game week anyway, so I'm like, no, you're out to game week. Like, don't even worry about it. We're just going to get you back and help and you. And just let yeah. your young guys that need to get reps or you need to maybe see what they can do, they get more reps when they need it. And when now it won't Je- hurt you. Jeff Howe's, uh, Jeff Howe's favorite. Daniel Young gets his mm. shot. I've, I've got. I, tur- I can put the key in, turn that ignition. We're driving the train, babe. We're driving that truck. Driving that Danny Young bus. First thing I thought about when I was like, oh, Kirk mm. Johnson's out for six weeks. Uh, now Keontae Ingram's in Ingram's bubble wrap the for the next two weeks. Uh-oh. Jeff Howe gets his Daniel Young yeah. love. <laughs> well, here's – before get we get to – Before we, we get, get to – But you know what? I think they're going to shut Whittington down. Like, not shut him down, but I think he's going to be – You don't want to risk him. No. Yeah, I think he's going to be now. You're going to be very cautious. Because even in, I read you guys at Horn 247, yeah. y'all said, hey, when soon as Keontae Ingram went down, they shut down Whittington. Jordan Whittington did not take a snap in the scrimmage. Because – 
that's that's your two. It yeah. basically it basically treated like an NFL preseason game with like the number five tailback right. you know is going to get cut, and that's no disrespect to Jarrett Smith, but Jarrett Smith the walk on. It's like, all right, young buck, here you go. Here you go. Run, run to in. run till you puke. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> you run into a wall. Show us something, young buck. You want to show us? Like, hey, after Keontae Ingram went down, I think Jarrett Smith pretty much got about every meaningful carry in that scrimmage. He's probably. I would. I, you know what? That's a great. I would like to ask him because you know he didn't expect that. No. Like, worn out he was yeah. after that scrimmage. But Rod, you know. That's I mean, awesome. having yeah, a player, man. Just the battering ram being used. If I was right him, I'd be now. like, hey, I need that film, man. I need that for myself. <laughs> yes. So when y'all go, go to the league, I'd be like, you see me break that tackle? I broke that tackle. When you're sending that to the CFL <laughs> and everywhere. But you know, as a, as a player, Rod, when, when you've got one of those walk-on guys and they get a chance, like that is their their regular season game. If you get a chance in a scrimmage to yeah. to run, and, and you're running, you know, maybe you're running against the number one Texas defense. Hell, I mean, that's, that's a better tape than – some running backs are going to have I'm that are serious. actually starters at that program. I'm like, I want that film. Can I get that film? It's better than any send me one double A guy. That's what I'm saying. Like, send me that. I can go to Canada on that film. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. <laughs> so, we'll talk more about the depth chart here in a sec. But yeah. we talked throughout the off season about the the key for this team to get over those games where they lose a game that maybe they shouldn't. The two Maryland games, the Texas Tech game two years ago, even the Oklahoma State game last year. You kind of have to you have to be who you are. You have to own it. And what this team is, it's a physical team, and Tom Herman wants physical practices. My question to you, Rod, can you have those physical practices yet at the same time? Like, we're told Devin DuVernay was a healthy scratch yeah. in the scrimmage. So can you have those physical practices while at the same time saying, you know what, uh, Keonta Ingram, Sam Cosme, or maybe even Sam Ellinger, you guys are too valuable that we're going to pull you out of the scrimmage situation. Um, I saw the – yeah, when I saw the Colin Johnson play too – I don't understand why Devin Duvernay. I guess he's got more of a history with injuries, like little Nick, little Nicks and stuff like that. But if I'm scratching Duvernay, I'm scratching Colin Johnson. Yeah. Right. Why do I? What do I need to see from Colin Johnson? Right. Like if, if we're gonna play that game, then mm-hmm. oh, Colin Johnson, you're done too. Like I don't need to see anything from you. Like Brandon Jones in a scrimmage situation. Do you really need to see? I'm with you. That like, much from Brandon Jones. Yeah, I got four or five safeties I'm evaluating anyway. Hell, maybe even six now. You know what, Brandon Jones? I don't need to evaluate you. I, I Especially just after the Caden Stearns injury, I'd have treated that just like I did the Keontae Ingram one. When Keontae Ingram goes down and they snatch Jordan Whittington out, I'd have snatched Brandon Jones out too. When Caden Stearns goes out, oh no, you out, dog. And it's you well, out. Yeah, I need y'all out. A good time pointing out too the because you hear about well, I thought Texas was going to have these physical fall camps and you're going to go and tackle through, and it's like no, that is what they're going to do. But in certain situations with certain players, what's the value from when you already know the product? So. In these situations, you can learn a lot from the other guys, and they can form good habits. If you already have good habits or you've already proven yourself, you don't need to be out there for risk, and that's where you're at between those two. I see, Rod, how how maybe you can want to see a little bit of a guy like Sam Cosme, right? We all agree Sam Cosme is a proven commodity. He's very valuable. But I still think there's some technical stuff making that transition from right tackle to left tackle. Maybe maybe you have him in there for a series. Uh, And you could say, okay, Jalen Green is really valuable to this team. Yes, he is. But those young corners, they all need work. They all need work. B.J. Foster making a transition to, to the nickel. nickel. Yeah, I would say, okay, I want to see those reps. He needs work. But I'm with you, Brandon Jones. You, you've got two linebackers you trust with Jeffrey McCulloch and Joseph Osai. They're valuable, yes, but they still need work. They still need work. Yeah. No, I'm with you. It's, well, I mean, and you can't know this. This is 2020 right. hindsight thing, so we're being exactly. nitpicky. Even with the running back thing, the depth. But, yeah, I, I think now you may see them be a little bit more cautious because – I mean, that, that's scary. The high ankle sprain thing is scary. I had, spra- yeah. I had a high ankle sprain when I was at Texas, I think, in like, spring of my sophomore year. And I was out for the rest of the spring. 
And yeah, it's that's Stern's it's, time. It's, it lingers. You know what I mean? Like it lingers. You need time for it. To it lingered for Brandon Jones that. all year last year. Well, and that's the yeah. thing. It's not your traditional mm-hmm. rolling your ankle, which is like something that I yeah. had horribly my whole life that ended up in a broken leg. This is when it inverts and goes up your calf, and yeah. it goes up, and it becomes something that changing direction almost becomes impossible. Exactly. And if you're a DB, that's something you. I mean, you got to be able to pivot and go 180 from yeah. where you're at, and that's the worst thing for a high. Even end. more reason, just let him sit down. The good news is Demarion Overson was back for the scrimmage so at least you've got a you've got one body back at safety oh well safety you got bodies and (laughs) uh we'll let's shelve running back we'll come back to running back but rod i want to talk about the safety position and this eight db package that tom harman's talking about running out on third and long wow and i know you're taking names for it right and you've got 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 some good i put out there yeah people got some great names now i mean they really got some great suggestions i haven't gone through all of them yet but uh, Lohan fans got some really good suggestions. Can I can I can I throw one out there? Go ahead, just brother. To, and and I, I was doing some research on this last night because <laughs> I, I managed to glance at your tweet, Rod, and that sent me down a, a rabbit hole. Oh no! What about if we called it the Mamba Package? Because Kobe Bryant wore eight for a while. You got eight <laughs> wow. DBs. Man, and what's deep. more feared than a black Mamba? It's sleek. It's fast. One of the deadliest snakes on the planet. Yeah. Okay, I yeah, like that. Kobe That's connection. pretty good. That is that's pretty good. I, I like, like that. the octopus because the octopus I've are like the, the smartest animals. I've heard the, the octopus literally yeah. could be aliens. They're so smart, and then eight makes sense. Some people said the Star Wars package because of the Tom Herman quote that the quarterbacks are going to see like so they're looking at Star Wars. Yeah. You know my vote, I mean? my vote's in for the Mamba. Package. I like the Mamba though. I'm going to add that to it because uh, on the show today I'm going to get into it. I'll add the Mamba to it. I like that. I like, <laughs> but the octopus is a popular one. Oh, I, I was thinking Scott Hinton. Some people said the uh, the uh, man. They got a, a bunch of really good ones though, like some Longhorn related ones. Someone said the Torpedo because of the <laughs> Thorpe Award winners. Like three of them will be in that in that package. I think, I think <laughs> we're stretching a little bit right there. Yeah, yeah, we're no, stre- no, we got some good suggestions. If we're going with your traditional. Football terms with the dime nickel, would this be the penny? Like if you're just going down? Well, it would be like the, supposed to be the like half dollar. It's supposed to be like a half dollar, dollar yeah. but nobody. That doesn't sound intimidating. The 50 cent no. piece doesn't. Somebody sees that buffalo nickel would be good. The, well, Bevo, be good. the Bevo nickel would that, be good. That's actually good. I like the Bevo I nickel. like the Bevo nickel too. Yeah. Like when, even when you say a quarters package, that's still The quarters package like, is sexy. That's intriguing. Eight DVs package. Like, I don't even half know. Half dollar package doesn't sound. It doesn't sound. Yeah, that's what I say. You can call it whatever you want to. The lightning package with six DBs is what they call their dying package, so call it whatever you want to. But I'm my we'll vote's in for Mamba. But I like the Mamba. Rod, to get to third and long, you got to yeah. be really good on first down and second down. Amen, brother. And from that scrimmage, we heard that the defensive line had a good scrimmage. I mean, it sounds like the, the O-line, D-line battles now are really competitive, mm-hmm. which is exactly where you want them, right? You yeah. want some give and take there. You don't want like we've heard hmm. we've heard in the past where okay, D line don't stunt because we can't handle it. Yeah, yeah. You know one where like one side's dominating. You're like, oh man, yeah. it sounds like so they're good. doing plenty of slanting and games and all kinds of no stuff doubt. that they would normally do in a game. And again, there's some give and take there. The interesting thing, I think, the most interesting thing on the D line, and we know in that eight DB package, that hypothetical eight DB package, that Malcolm Roach is going to be the nose in that package. Mm-hmm. And I think, he, I think this is a year where you'll see Malcolm Roach play multiple shades in, in oh, various yeah. situations. He should. The interesting thing, though, to me is the emergence of Keandre Coburn and moving Moro Ojimo to the nose. We talked, we talked a little bit about this, but I think it needs to be driven home. It's pretty clear to me that Todd Orlando wants to get back to what he had at the end of his tenure at Houston with that Oliver and what he had in 2017 with Puna Ford. He doesn't want just a a steady hand, a rock in the middle of that defense. He wants a disruptor, a guy yeah. that has to be accounted for by multiple blockers on every play. Yeah. 
needs to reset the line of scrimmage uh, on every play. That's what Puna was able to do. Puna would push the pocket and demand a double team. He was a true war daddy inside. That's what he wants. And basically, you can just say he got he got accustomed to a a, a lifestyle of having great D tackles. You know what <laughs> I mean? Look at Puna Ford and what he's doing in the NFL right now with yeah, Seattle. I just mentioned Puna Ford and Ed, Ed Oliver. Oliver. Yeah, so yeah. Basically, he just goes. He was like, "Oh, I think I like my defenses better with an NFL caliber D tackle." Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We you all want do. chaos <laughs> closest to the yeah. quarterback. You want the exactly. The, and I mean, um, it makes total yeah. sense. It's so simple. It's really simplistic in nature. But to think that, like, okay, well, if you have the quarterback closest to him, we need to have the quickest disruption, and you look across the league though pass rushers in the nfl now mm-hmm. being an interior pass rusher is actually something that you can aspire to get for your d-line like that's something that didn't even exist until like the last decade Want, or two when the ball is out too quickly and rushing from the edge although of course it's still the best way to get to the quarterback man it is it's a herculean task especially now with people matching up with backs to chip them tight ends mm-hmm. more and more tight ends and of course you have you know skilled left tackles who used to play tight end or used to play skill position guys like uh sam Cosme, you know and guys like um you know connor williams who played you know, tight end or whatever he played yeah. moving the left tackle and so they're more athletic trying to match up with the pass rushers so where you do have an advantage if you're a defensive coordinator is inside if you can get a really skilled pass rusher inside the problem is those guys are hard to come by yeah, and it's the, hard to find an interior pass rusher that actually can penetrate and be a disruptor Andre Coburn can that's be that's what I've said in, re- in recruiting you know to get a guy like Coburn is so huge to get a guy yeah. mm-hmm. you look at this 2020 class to get a guy like Vernon Broughton is so big because these the athletic interior mm-hmm. linemen who can disrupt a quarterback who can reestablish the line of scrimmage if you miss on that guy your second option is a guy that you yeah. might like him, but he might not be ready for another two or three exactly years. Right. Those guys are ready from jumping. We saw Coburn play in the four games last year. But I've got a story on the site right now. Uh, it's from when I talked to Todd Orlando last month at the coaching convention in Houston. And I asked him about the Georgia game because he, he wasn't really asked about that during the offseason, about playing nine different the defensive linemen plan, yeah. in the Georgia game. And I said, so ideally, like, what would you like to play? And he said, ideally, their number is eight. And he broke down for me like snap percentages. Here's what I want that first group to get. And four, five, and six, this is ideally what I want those guys to get. And here's what's left over for seven and eight. And he talked about Coburn. And he said, ideally, he would like, if you're facing, let's say, 80 plays, he would like Keandre Coburn to get 55 to 60% yeah. of those snaps. It's about 48 snaps. Well, and he said at the time, he said, maybe Coburn's ceiling is only 30 to 35, effective, where he can be really effective. That's why you move a guy like Ojimo there because you, you need, need another body there. 12, but yeah. un- I think I think we can all agree Gerald Wilbon fits the description more that steady hand that you can plug him in there Chris Nelson. and trust that he'll at least hold mm-hmm. serve. Yeah. Ojimo's the kind of guy that can go disrupt the passer. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, so it kind of goes back to the offense thing. Certain guys can move the chain. Certain guys change the game. Mm-hmm. Right. Kendrick Kerbin, once he demands a double team, the, the numbers advantage flips in your favor as a defensive coordinator immediately. And then the added value, even if, say, he doesn't get home or make a play that stands out to just the layman fan watching at home, just the mental consumption of the quarterback knowing that that guy is a disruptor in every single play. If he's not a threat, if it's just a backup or just a guy, it's not consuming the mind. But if you know that that guy right there can actually get to you and can be something that is that close, it's something that mentally can really weigh on a quarterback throughout the game because he knows that clock in his head is a little bit quicker than it normally is. Yeah, best way to destroy a pocket 
you know, the shortest distance between two points is straight ahead. If you can, you, <laughs> you can force Dumbkin that. Soon, Colt McCoy, well, like yeah, Texas fans you, remember just so that, well. Pot, that, that quarterback outside of his pocket because he's going to basically his passing windows, which mm-hmm. is what's big now, you're going to disrupt his passing windows, the one that's right in front of his face. Now he's got to move Both in that them. pocket. Left and if he's right. moving in that pocket, he's closer to one of your pass rushers. Yeah. And then you can crush the pocket. Mm-hmm. So I, but those guys, just they're hard to find. Texas has had how many of those guys, you know, in – 20 years. I mean, it's tough. Not many. You've had a Casey Hampton. You've had Rod a Puna Wright. Ford. Uh, Rod Wright, Rod I guess Wright you could throw in that guys. discussion. Lamar Houston. Lamar Houston. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're talking about NFL. <laughs> we're talking about guys who played in the There's league. There's a little Ended burst by his son Ridgeway years, for a time. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I mean, you get one every four or five years basically here in Texas. And Second contract kind of guys. Except Rod Wright had the shoulder yeah. injury. But. Sam Macho played D-tackle for Texas for a while, right? He just got signed and Now Sam end. Macho just got signed again. Like, that's how rare those guys are. But mm-hmm. you know what? That goes back to Muschamp. He wanted the mm-hmm. same thing. He was like, no, no, I want a D-tackle that's going to that's gonna penetrate. Acho, and that's gonna, Houston, yeah, I want that's going to be able to get inside. I know he's a little undersized, but I'll I'll deal with that. Hell, we had that. We had that with uh, Maurice Gordon yeah. back in the day. Bo- Carl Maurice started Maurice Gordon, who honestly was like 200. Go look, I think he's like 240, 50 pounds playing <laughs> playing D-in and D-tackle for us. Dude. You got, if you had the right mindset, you're strong and quick. And we've talked all about the idea of trading size for, for speed. speed and athleticism. Yeah. And even if you're at the front, it, it, it seems like something that in certain matches or matchups is what you don't want. But in certain situations, if you find a mismatch and you're taking advantage of that offensive line because they just don't have the footwork to stay with you, that's something that becomes unblockable. Yeah. Just thinking about the Muschamp thing, that was really ahead of its time. Like I don't really think, was. I don't think the Big Twelve. Like if Muschamp did that in today's Big Twelve, it would be perfect. Perfect. Yeah. And you would actually maybe consider, okay, why are you taking so long to adapt? Something to this? Gary Patterson would do. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So I think Muschamp was a little bit ahead of his time in well, terms of that. The whole conference thinking. was. He was I just the, so great at defense that he picked up on it when everybody else had. And, and I think about the Bull Reese thing, Rod. I mean. It's almost like some give and take. Like you can play more scoring a defensive tackle when you're that damn good and that damn athletic at linebacker. When you can run out D.D. Lewis and Derek Johnson and yeah, you know, Everett Rawls was a three year starter and Tyrone Jones. Yeah, so. we were playing four down then, so he was trying to just put like his own NASCAR package out there at one point. You know what I mean? Just pass. Oh yeah, and by the way, the other tackle was Marcus Tubbs. That's what I said. Yeah, so, like yeah. you know what I mean? Like dude doing like just, front flips off of cliffs out yeah. of the lake. That yeah, he's athletic as hell. But we had yeah, we were getting good D linemen back then. Not that they're not getting them now, but we were getting stuff. We had C Red. We, we were getting studs back then. That was off of having Casey Hampton <laughs> and Sean Rogers. Like we were just stockpiling them, dog. Yeah, C Red was one of those first guys moving down the line. And he was. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. Mike and I Mike and I will talk about that, too, when we talk about recruiting and the uh, commitment of Princely Uman Milan, the defensive end from Ooh, Say Maynard. it again so I get it right. Uman Milan. Uman Milan. That's what I'm going Uman with. Uman Milan. Okay. That's what, that's what Mike's going with. That's what I'm going with. It Prince, sounds right. Princely, if you're listening to this and I said it wrong, please correct me. <laughs> or anybody at Maynard out there that wants to correct me, please feel free. That's right. He's local. But, Rob, we talk about the defensive line. We talked about the secondary. The, the, the area I'm still concerned with is that second level. And I know you guys are going to try to talk me off the ledge about saying there's plenty of safeties to go around. They're going to handle it. Mm-hmm. I just – I just keep going back to the fact that the quarterback play, the play callers in this league, they're too good that if you're weak there, they're going to expose you. And I think coming out of this scrimmage, I know Todd Orlando and Tom Herman are both kind of in lockstep with their idea that it's a work in progress, but they feel like it's going to get there at linebacker. I just really worry. I I worry about 
when you play a team like LSU. Because even though we talk about LSU wanting to spread it out and do all the stuff under Joe Brady. They say that's what they want to do. At the end of the day, Ed Orgeron's still a guy that if he feels like they can line up in like 12 personnel or 21 personnel and just smash you in the mouth, they're going to do that. And do you have the mass and the athleticism at the second level to be able to match that? That's the kind of stuff I worry about with where they're at a linebacker right uh, now. Totally, I, I totally agree with you. And honestly, I don't know if they get it fixed. I don't know if they resolve it uh, by the time they play LSU. Right. I'm just saying because that's the second you're, you're game You're going to need your linebackers to be big in that game. Yeah, I will say this. I do think you can you mitigate some of the damage because you do have um, a strength in numbers at in, on the D-line. Uh, and now we just talked about Keandre Coburn supposed to be, you know, he's a difference maker there. One thing that helps – um, an inexperienced linebacking core is being able to have a defensive tackle that can keep the the offensive lineman off of them. You know what I mean? They can keep keep their passage their pathways clear. Uh, I think you can do that. You got multiple guys up front, and you just got them talking about one of them, Moro Ojimo. Uh, but then you got Taquan Graham, you got Malcolm Roach. You got about four guys now that can play multiple shades. Andre Sweat is another guy uh, up up front, and I think at one point, if they're not getting what they want from the linebacking core you're going to see them start to throw more and more D linemen out there to try to mitigate the damage since they need mass and speed. The D line is fat, it's bigger and faster than it was last year. Say what you want about losing Charles and Menehu and all those guys and losing experience. It's a bigger, faster, more athletic yeah. defensive line. And I think if you, if you start putting out the guys that can play multiple shades, I think you can start getting to a point where you know you can get uh, you can get pressure with just with those guys up front because they can play multiple shapes, because they're more athletic, because they're faster, because they got more BGO. And then on the back end, you also have depth at safety. So you have two things that I think can help you deal with the lack of depth and the lack of talent, lack of proven commodities at linebacker. But I'm with you. I don't know if you're going to solve that problem by LSU. I don't know if that happens, man. That's that's a month away, basically. I don't know if you get that done. Yeah, like I said, I just I really, really – that, that's the one area of the defense yeah. where I don't – to me, and I know I kind of played devil's advocate last week, but the more I think about it, I don't think we can just leave, gotta like leave that to chance. Like, ah, oh, they'll figure it out. They'll be fine. No, I mean, because I just remember, and I've, I know I've talked about it ad nauseum, I remember the Oklahoma State game last year, and I remember the Texas Tech game. Or, yeah, West the, Virginia? Was it the Texas Tech game? No, it was the West Virginia West game last Virginia. year. West Virginia yep. game last year, where really they decided, you know what, we're not even going to mess running at Gary Johnson. We're just going to try to seal off Anthony Wheeler because he yeah. doesn't have the recovery speed like Gary Johnson does. Yeah, and none of these guys run like Gary Johnson. No. <laughs> or Malik Jefferson. But you only we, need we two. You yeah. only need two ideally, right? You just need two linebackers ideally, right? And Todd Randall's not going to play a, a deep rotation like he did in, in 2017. Yeah. He didn't last year, and he's not going to this year. He, he's even said in the preseason, look, he only needs like three or four. He only, I, I think he only needs two, but then you need three just to make sure you have enough depth in case something happens. So, I, you know, I, I'm with you. It's an issue. I'm not as worried about it as you are, but I could see. And plus, you don't go up against Daner Hogerson this year. You don't no. have to worry about Cliffy this year. Nope. You know I mean? There's a lot, of, a lot of factors. I'm with you. It's a concern. But there are a lot of factors to me that point to it being more of a minor issue than a major issue. There may be other issues on defense that may be a bigger issue than that. You know what I mean? And it's Third just down the idea defense, stuff like that. in the modern game, if you were to have a deficiency, if you could choose it, that would probably be the area you would choose. I agree with that. You don't want to have a deficient D-line or like a pass rush or no DBs. And in this league especially, it's one that, yeah, you'd like to have everything shored up, but if you had to pick a flaw, that's the best flaw to probably still be successful. That. For me, great point. For me, it goes back to the importance Todd Orlando places on that Mac linebacker and that rover in his defense mm-hmm. with the responsibilities 
he gives them. Now, the flip side of that, Rod, is does he look at it like you're bringing to the table right now and say, okay, maybe I've got to change it around, change some things up, and rely on this deep defensive line. Exactly. Rely on – I mean, Tom Herman came out and said they basically have six safeties they consider starters. Yeah. I mean, that, that would crazy. be Stearns, Foster, Jones, Chris Brown, Chris Josh Brown. Thompson, DeMarvion Overshawn. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I, I believe them. Yeah. That's why we've been saying just play more safeties. So I'm with you. I think this will be – it's why it's a challenge for Todd Orlando this year, right? It goes back to why it's such a big challenge for him this year for a lot of reasons. But I think he may have to fundamentally kind of shift his scheme around in terms of the responsibility that he's going to delegate to certain guys. You got – Arguably the the, the 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 trio of the best safeties in the country potentially. All right, at least you're in the top five. You're in the conversation with LSU and Bama and Ohio mm-hmm. State and all those other great schools. So yeah, maybe you need to put more responsibility on the safeties mm-hmm. and less on your rover linebacker and your Mac linebacker. You know what I mean? And maybe because you got Malcolm Roach on the D line who's played every position on the defensive front, maybe you gotta you know maybe you start putting more emphasis on the the defensive ends in your system and what they have to do in their responsibility rather than the linebackers. You know what I mean? I think that's, yeah. that's gonna be a challenge for him. If you don't trust those guys. Don't give them the, that much responsibility. And that's where you trust Orlando. And that's where Orlando has seemed to be a guy that can evaluate and be able to assess and accurately put the guys in the right positions. Yeah. And we've seen him think outside the box at different times that at the time yeah. you didn't expect. But then, like you said, you, you look at the tools you have and then adjust around that. And at other areas and other seasons, he hasn't had exactly this predicament. So we really don't know what his defense would do in this situation it's just if he can assess it and find those ways to shade some type of deficiency or cover up the other back end then that's the way you do it that that's essentially when when you hear tom herman and todd orlando talk about putting the best 11 on the field that's the decision they've got to make like are Mm -hmm. you a better defense with delia dayaway on the field or are you a better defense with demarvion on the field agreed like coach king always tell me you know forget the system you run Figure out every offseason who your best 11 defenders are and build a system to keep those guys on the field as much as possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what you do. Like, you, if you're trying to marry yourself to a system, you're always going to do yourself a disservice. And mm-hmm. you, you're hearing Todd Orlando. You're already confining yourself yeah, by exactly. admission. You hear Todd Orlando and those guys keep talking about, eh, you know what? I'm just trying to put the best 11 out there. If it's, if it's two linebackers, then it'll be the two linebackers. If it's three, then we got three. If it's only mm-hmm. one, Hell, we got one. We got to figure something else out. Yeah, I and think Texas's a- players have this are the size of Big Twelve linebackers. Like if you look at guys like Calvin Bundage for Oklahoma State, yeah. or like they're, he's six two two oh five. Like that's what that's those true. DBs are. So you know, I think that just uh, maybe what our minds define as undersized may not necessarily be the case yeah. these days. I think, I think beyond that though, Matt and Rod, you and I have talked about this a lot, and I know you're a big proponent of shooting this stuff down. I think. As fans, uh, and I just think the common fan, I think you look in like a preseason magazine and see what is Texas base defense. Oh, they base out of a three four. Yeah. Well, Not at really. this point in football, man, you got to forget three four yeah. four three four two five whatever. It's almost a week to week proposition. Mm-hmm. Say okay, based on what this offense does, exactly. What is my best eleven? Maybe in one week, like against an, an LSU or or a Kansas State, yeah. Maybe your best eleven to say, hey, maybe we got to go with a traditional four down front, yeah. Maybe yeah. because we, they got to play twenty one personnel against us, or two. Yeah, backs maybe Tyler Orlando's got to have that conversation. Yeah. No, yeah. I totally agree with you. That's what, that's the one thing that's so sort you, of unlike the situation looking at LSU so early in the season when you have the Big Twelve, yet you look at your, your biggest 
game is going to be unlike the others. So yeah. you're going to have to f- have a, something figured out for that game early on, but you may not ever revisit it down the road. No, that's why I think it's uh it's really intriguing what's happening in you know the NFL. Mm-hmm. Like look at look at look at the NFC West, right? So if you're in the NFC West, this is what you'll see. You got you got to play everybody in there twice. You got to see Arizona now with the air raid. They're going to play four and <laughs> five wide receiver sets, right? Yeah. But then you're also going to play Seattle, who runs the ball more than they throw the ball. They're the only team in the NFL that runs more than they throw, and they got a dual-threat quarterback, the best in the NFL, arguably the best in history. He's that mm-hmm. damn good, all right? And then on top of that, you got the Rams, who run 11 personnel mm-hmm. 90% of the time, but they run eight to 10 different counters off of every play they have, but it all looks the same mm-hmm. initially. But they lose a lot of jet sweep motion and all that stuff. And then, I mean, just think about all the stuff that, you know, that, that these teams have to see on a day-to-day basis. I think that's football in a nutshell. Now, that's what Bill Belichick has been doing for years. I'm a yeah. matchup-based team. Right. Depending on what we see that week, that's how we got to make sure we build our defense to match up with yeah, that. Yeah, and I think, you, I think you're seeing that with, you know, the two coordinators that jump out to me really are, are – Todd Orlando and Dave Aranda in terms of what they do, which yeah. I mean, you've got you've got to be multiple. If you're not, if you're not a truly, if you're not a yeah. truly multiple defense, then you're you're behind the sure. times and you're sorry, doing yourself I, a disservice. I forgot about Shano, who runs twenty one personnel fifty percent of the time, more than any team in the league. Yeah, yeah, my bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, my point is that like, you see that's you why got, we were thinking about that, it. I, the Big Twelve is going to become more of that. Yeah, the Big Twelve. The NFC used to West be the, is becoming the Big Twelve. Yes. Well, like Gary <laughs> Patterson, <laughs> air raid, but now the air raid has, has, has influence. But yeah, you still got Sonny Cumbie and Lincoln Riley running the air raid, but now you. Got Iowa State running more of a, a power spread and the pro spread. Hell, Matt Rule says, I like the way the pro spread sounds. I think that's kind of what we do at Baylor. I'm going to call it the pro spread. But yet, Baylor runs a ton of, of, of like the Seahawks. Yeah, they spread you out a ton, too. That's why he liked Jalen Hurd. Um, he's learned, like, he's like, no, I got I to gotta start spreading things out a little bit more. Yeah. I'd like to be power football. We got to spread it out. That's what the Big 12 is becoming. And then you've got you know, Neil Brown at Troy, who played for Hal Mummy and Mike Leach. Yeah. But, has the power run game element, and you hear him and, and Matt Wells both talking, and this is what you'll hear from Texas Tech and West Virginia, kind of that hybrid spread concept. Exactly. It's not a true air raid. It's not a true spread offense because they still want to have a physical edge and run the football. But, right, I th- you know, the guy that I think about when you talk about being multiple to me is Gary Patterson. Like, Gary Patterson technically yeah. is a four-two-five guy, and we know, like, some of his tendencies, like he loves split coverages and things like mm-hmm. that. But we're always seeing Gary Patterson tweak personnel and move things around like I remember yep. was it 2014 I think maybe the year they won the league or maybe it was the year after they had a rash of injuries at linebacker said no you know what I'm gonna take Traven Howard at 210 pounds and I'll play him at linebacker and it'll be the first team all big 12 player mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know last year it was ah uh, well we're kind of thin on the D line they need to move LJ Collier around they lo- lost Ross Black like yeah. I'll take my best linebacker Ty Summers I'll line him up at defensive end yeah all of them is spinning <laughs> right. down and going and with lot- speed athleticism and the guy that fits and knows you and that's well, kind of what Gary Patterson's done it's like I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna look for speed first and foremost and hybrids. Yes, and, and then I'll figure hybrids. out where to put these. Guys. That's why because he, he likes hybrid players, just hybrid football players. He's able to his safety is able to play linebacker for him, uh, yeah. and his DN is able to play linebacker. He's able to shift things around. You get average even yeah. in your most efficient area. You get average production. It's like eh, it's not ideal for him to cover a back out of the backfield, but he can do it. But yeah. he can also cover. But then he'll bring. The he'll do things that the, the other guy couldn't do. Exactly. And then you know the mean? defense doesn't know what you're doing, and you're able to that's match why, up against. That's them why, all. in terms of recruiting, like you're almost. I don't want to say better because at Texas you're going to get the guys like Vernon Brown, yeah, DeAndre Colbert, yeah, that, that the other schools aren't going to get. The advantage you have at a program like TCU or a Baylor or even an Iowa State. You can get away with recruiting tools rather than trying to, you mm-hmm. know, bang your head against the wall, trying to compete against 
Texas and Oklahoma and LSU to try to get top guys, guys yeah. in whatever right. position. Guys yeah. that are, you know, finished product, I hate that term, but guys that are pretty much closer to being ready-made to, to step in and play. Totally you know, Matt Rule talked about it when he was at, at Temple and they were having a recruit against Penn State. Why are we going to go try to beat Penn State for recruits? Mm. Let's just recruit tools to what we feel works, develop them like we know we can develop them, and then, boom, yep. two, three years down the road, you've got 11 guys that you really like on that side. Yeah. And I think Matt Rule at Temple, what he started recruiting, speed and length, I think, was his yeah. two things. Like, he's like, that's one guy's well, that's what, And that's what fast. Gary Patterson's done for years. <laughs> yeah, it's just, okay. And that, <laughs> I don't know how the hell we got off on this tangent, but, yeah. you know. That's exactly right. No, but those, are guys, those guys developed talent happens. really well. Yeah. Matt, Matt Rule and Gary Patterson. Yeah. yeah, and it's like the idea that we've always talked about what was viewed as, say, a, a guy that was a tweener was always the one deficient thing that you didn't draft a guy for. But then now when you have this saturation of, like, youth sports and there's all these good athletes and there's so many sheer numbers that now you have all these players that are these sheer, say, a tweener that back in the day wouldn't fit somewhere. But oh, yeah. now you can go and be the TCUs and find oh, yeah. these diamonds in the rough and polish them up. And they really actually now to the modern game aren't diamonds in the rough. They're versatile pieces that exactly. can do things of two and, skill sets. And it's the same Aaron, thing. Aaron Donald and Oliver, they're tweeners. But now they're hybrids because yes, that yeah, sounds that's better. better and, yeah, tweeners suck, but hybrids are awesome. It's like, oh, the same thing. And, and I think the, before we move on, offense I think the recruiting approach for Todd Orlando is this and again he talked about this at, at coaching school I think for recruiting linebackers they're almost looking at guys that are big safeties in high school to spin them down or even guys that are high school running backs because they understand physicality in the box mm, well, and, and, and because you want speed first Making and foremost mm -hmm. and linebacker and then D-line wise you know yeah if you you know you're not going to turn down guys like Coburn and, and Broughton and uh, Uma Milan guys like that but what they want, there's really three things they want when they recruit defensive linemen. They want length. They want broad shoulders to, to add weight onto the frame. And you better be able to move your feet. Yeah. You know, because yeah. Todd Orlando made a great point when I was talking to him at, at, at the coaching convention. He said, you know, you can slim a guy down, but – if he's slow-footed, slimming him down isn't going to make him not be slow-footed. Yeah. He's still going to be a slow-footed well, I was thinking about Pona. Pona had really quick feet yeah. before a guy his size. Played some running back in high school. Yeah, it's just weird to yeah. watch his feet and try to match his feet with what was up top. And it's just even Chris Nelson, right. like Chris Nelson, was a middle linebacker in high school. Yeah, I was like, I remember you, yeah. Jeff, yeah. Tell, talking Tubbs about was a tight end. Yeah. The most unfair thing Jeff had yeah. ever seen, and correct me if I'm wrong, was Malcolm Brown as a tight end at Brenham, oh, just running over little <laughs> tiny high school <laughs> yeah. kids, yeah. and he's 300 pounds coming on a safety that's like, like 150. Uh, Jer Jerry Hamilton knows the story better than I do because Jerry was there. But like <laughs> Malcolm Brown, I think his junior year, the first day they did like you know everybody. During two days, you yeah. did the conditioning test. Like Malcolm Brown ran the fastest mile of anybody on his high school team. <laughs> like how the hell does We're that happen? At th at th as a three hundred eighty, as a two hundred eighty-five, two hundred ninety-pound defensive tackle. Like how the hell does that happen? I want. So how does somebody not video that? I want to see that. Yes. Like I, I want to watch that. So, I mean, I really do want to see. Why he's beating everybody in the mile. In, 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 in the mile. Everybody heard that story. Was like, I'm drafting. Yeah. This guy running a hundred and ten degree heat. That's the story. Belichick heard. Done. I guess all I need to hear. I got. I Ends up starting. You know what? Forty something games with the Patriots and that's a couple of couple Wasn't he the last five star D lineman that Texas got? The last the, 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 oh, the last five star defensive lineman, the Big Twelve guy. Yeah, I know you told me wow. that like two years ago, and I was like, that's crazy. Yeah, we're yeah. going elsewhere, but uh, Tom Herman seems to be bringing it back. But we'll yeah, talk we'll about that back. when we chop it up with Mike. But let's talk about the offense. And uh, since I am the president of the Danny Young Fan Club, not Start that out, you want to see anybody injured, but oh, Rod, I was saying this like back in the spring. Like, yes, we're talking about Keonta Ingram and Jordan Whittington and taking pressure off Sam. But if if you're gonna do that. 
You need Danny Young you and or Kirk Johnson to give you something, or otherwise you're going to run the other two guys into the ground. Yeah, now you called it. You said they're going to need Danny Young. They're yeah. going to need him. I don't care what they're going to need. And you're right, they need him. They 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 need him desperately at this point, in my opinion, because now you need him to try to be able to execute the offense because you just don't have bodies at this point with the first and the second team scholarship running backs. But I'm with you during the season. Now I'm just kind of looking at it, you know, just the, how they're going to displace all the carries and the touches, I should say, between these guys. You know, you might be thinking about saving guys like Keontae Ingram and Jordan Whittington and trying to, you know, kind of uh, ease their load a little bit too. Because if you get Jordan Whittington as a freshman, there's going to be a freshman wall. I know he doesn't look like a freshman. He's got an old soul and he's awesome. But there will be a freshman wall for him. Like, like there, was a, there was a freshman wall for Caden Stearns. There was a freshman wall for Keontae Ingram. There, there was a freshman wall for Sam Ellinger. There yeah. will be a freshman wall for Jordan Whittington. And you're going to need Daniel Young to step up when he, when he hits it. And you're at the most physical position. That no doubt. Even if you play great, yeah. it may not even be your fault, but you're going to get hurt being at running back. My yeah, take on Daniel that. Young is this. I think there's a couple things that happen. One, the reason why I'm so high on him, I saw him do some really good things in 2017 behind a terrible offensive line. <laughs> that offensive line was brutal in yes, 2017. True. Yeah. And Which saw him do some Deontay good things. So and and I think what he, what he did in the passing game too, Rod, it, it, it flashed – one of those skill sets, and I don't know if he's the kind of athlete this guy was, but Flash the kind of skill set that reminded me a little bit of Joe Bergeron. Like he had some of that kind Ooh, of skill set. You know, set I love me some Joe Bergeron. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't know why you're not on the Danny Young train more than me making a comparison. <laughs> but I think last year it became a situation where it seemed like all of his carries were really coming off the goal line, like mm-hmm. those kind of situations where all 11 guys on the other side of the ball know you're getting it and yep. you're just got to – uh, you got everything. Bury your head, boots. plow forward, yep. get what you can get, right? It was but, a lot of dust. But I think football. the the ball security issues he had, I think those turned into confidence issues. And I think the staff lost some confidence in him. And with the emergence of Trey Watson, you realize at some point you don't really need we Danny need Young. Yeah. But he ended up becoming like basically a glorified fullback in their short yardage package. Yeah, he did. So I just think at the end of the day, if he can hold on to the football, which is if he doesn't, he won't play. That's why Tennille Carter got in the doghouse. Part of the reason why Tennille Carter got in the doghouse. I didn't hear anymore. If he can hang on to the football and gain some confidence, look, we've seen him flash enough that you say, if you're giving him – and my ideal contribution for Danny Young, right around three five. to three, I say three to five. I was gonna say game. five touches a game would be perfect cool for me. You know, if he mean? can give you that, yeah. then that's yeah. Danny. If that, that's that's really all you need from Danny Young. I agree with that, and I'll tell you why. I, I'm not on the bandwagon, but I, I can be persuaded. And I gotta admit, you were right. They need him. Number one, he can show the coaches now in the rest of training camp for. I don't know, 10, 12 days that'll left. There's plenty, plenty of opportunity. Plenty of reps out there for you to shine, brother, to shine behind a good offensive line. Yes. You'll probably be getting first team reps. So shine behind a good offensive line. But I'm with you. I love 21 personnel. My man Shannon has convinced me, and then watching the Patriots do it, I really think if you have the right, right pieces, 21 personnel can be brilliantly used, all right? And I think Texas, with Keontae Ingram and Jordan Whittington in the backfield, I even like that idea of 21 personnel. Yeah. But think about inserting a guy who played basically your glorified fullback who also can run in between the tackles and, like you said, basically can be your halfback too if you need him in a 21 personnel set with a guy like, I don't know, Keontae Ingram or Jordan Whittington. Still makes you versatile, but he also can be a lead blocker Yeah, if you need him to. Danny Young, you know at I mean? the very least, he's a guy that'll go put a hat on somebody. You know what I mean? Or, or adds a different power element to your running game 
and obviously Bam Bam Sam is the focal point of your power running game, but now you got a running back that also can block for him and be a lead blocker, which he's done before, a Big 12 title game. Go back and look at it. Yeah. They run a play with him basically as the fullback. That's the one Sam, I believe, scores on. Too, I think he was a 16-yarder on the first yeah. drive, yeah. Um, and so I just think, yeah, you, he's got a lot of different versatile weapons. I'm with you. I think he actually can add something to this offense because now I'm up off the running back by committee. I don't think either one of those guys needs to completely shoulder the load by themselves. I'd like to see three different guys have at least 500 yards rushing and and, and Daniel Young come in with uh, 200, you know what I mean, and at the tail end. And he the value that if he can consume some carries, it can add value to your entire team if it keeps everybody else healthy. If exactly. You know, like that's a yeah. really big part to where we've talked about that in taking the burden off of Sam, but then if you can add some burden off of, say, Ingram, if he's dinged up with the freshman in Whittington, if talking about trying to keep everybody healthy, just adding another body, it can make you feel like you had, like, you know, five with four or five backs where you had exactly a ton right. and they all never got hurt. They didn't, yeah. So as as we start to wind this portion of the show down, uh, when we talk about the offense, I think the big takeaway from the scrimmage rod, the word I heard to describe it was crisp. You know, very few issues with penalties. I don't know that there were any turnovers in the scrimmage. Jake Smith had a long touchdown. So Colin Johnson and Malcolm Epps win some of their fifty fifty battles down the field. Kate Brewer had a nice one handed touchdown yeah, catch. So. That. And now you hear Tom Herman throw Parker Braun into that mix of if they played a game today, he would be considered a starter. Six They'd have six guys, which there's been some years where there's been maybe one or two, and you got to hope to fill in the rest yeah. with whatever's there. So you're moving in the right direction. I just like the way this offense is trending right now. And going back to the conversation on defense, I thought you made a great point last week, and I'll stick with it. If, if Todd Orlando – he can afford to be multiple and to mix it up because now he knows he's got an offense that, hey, if it's not your week or it's not the right matchup, you've got an offense that you know can go match scores with somebody. Tyler Orlando said earlier this week that Sam Ellinger is starting to challenge him because Sam is doing so good at deciphering what they're doing on defense, you know what I mean, figuring it out pre-snap. Um, and Tom Herman, when we talked to him at the meet and greet, I asked him about Sam and he said, Sam basically knows the offense as good as I know it now, if not better. He tells me I caught new, some of that interview. Right? He yeah. says he tells me new things about the offense. I go, Sam, why why did you make that check? Why did you do that? He says, Well, coach, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Boom, boom, boom. And mm-hmm. coach goes, Yeah, you're right, it is obvious. And he walks away and goes, It wasn't obvious to me, but Sam knew. You he know gets what I mean? Like, that's, he that's, gets that's it. Gets he, he has level. total mastery of this offense it's now. It's like Neo in the Matrix. Yeah, so. I think that's why it's crisp. It is it he it is his offense. He has ownership of yeah. it now. All right, that's going to do it for the camp talk. Let's talk a little bit of recruiting and bring in Mike Roach. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, it is that time where I chop it up each and every week. Well, we didn't last week uh, because of a case of strep throat. He's a doctor, but he's back live and in living color on this podcast. Horns 24-7 recruiting editor, Mike Roach. Proud Bills Mafia member. Bills just signed Sam Ocho, so he's got to be happy about that. Uh, Our resident hockey guy 24-7 sports. You didn't know that, Mike? I know you've been busy the last few days. Yeah, it's really hard, honestly. To I mean, the Bills are like my the first love I ever had in sports, the first team I ever followed, really. So I try to keep up with them, but I mean, I pushed out. I declined all fantasy football invitations this year. 
because I just like I don't have time. All the knowledge I had for the NFL has been pushed out to hand over recruiting information. Yeah, that's usually the way it works. Uh, I was thinking as I was setting up to record this, my desk is already in mid-season form, i.e. there's crap everywhere. But anyway, people are not here to hear us talk about the Bills or the Stars, which I'm sure you've got a hot takes on Stars free agency in this season rapidly approaching. But, Mike, we're uh, Texas continues to be on a roll, and Longhorn Blitz will continue to take credit for that. We've got five commitments to talk about. That's uh, that's how long it's been since, number one, we've reconvened. But, man, this momentum just keeps rolling. First off, before we get to the recruiting, how you feeling? Uh, you mentioned the case of strep throat last week. I just said, hey, let's shelve it, live to fight another day. I assume you're good now. Yeah, yeah, all good to go, um, ready to roll. So uh, we are ready to talk some commits. It's been a, a day already. All right, Mike, let's start with the newest commitment, and we'll work our way backwards. That lets us cover ground on 2020, and then we'll get to twenty. 21. We'll start with Princely Uman Milan, the defensive end from Maynard. When we've talked about this guy, Mike, the vibe has been, well, he visits campus a lot, but is he just visiting because he likes Texas or is it just close and, you know, a lot of recruits go and he likes hanging out at those events? But, man, this one, it seemed like for a while it was either going to be Oklahoma or A&M, but Texas gets him. Can't understate how huge this is. Texas is really Alfred Collins away at this point from sweeping the elite in-state defensive line talent. Not enough credit can go to Oscar Giles, Todd Orlando for this. Mike, this is on track to be exactly the kind of D-line haul this program needed in this cycle. What a what a year for Oscar Giles. I mean, you know, Collins is the prize left, but even if something happened with Collins, you can still walk away with a, you know, a very good three-man class uh, on the defensive line. But, yeah, I think that, with Princely, that was always kind of the worry is he just because he's close, he's here a lot or, you know, usually if the kid's on campus that much, that's the indicator right there that you need to, to know where he's leaning. Um, despite that, you know, I think Princely's always had uh, some issues with the Texas three man front. It's a fun discussion we get to have with defensive linemen every year. And uh, these guys really don't understand you know and they buy into things a lot of other schools sell them and a lot of schools sold princely that he was going to be miles garrett for some reason um and i mean princely is a, is a good player he's nothing like miles garrett um they're just not the same type of defensive end i think right right i think texas what they did in the last couple of weeks from what i understand is they really sold him on hey forget you know the three-man front watch malcolm roach what he does in our defense that's what we see for you um so I think that he can kind of play that that four eye position. Possibly he could grow into a tackle, but I think he's probably a, a safe guy to stick at end. And um, just a really solid player, good local guy. And um, you know, anytime you get a head to head win over over Texas A and M, it's always huge. It was funny. I I literally got a call tipping me like, "Hey, this is going to happen today." And I I started to write the story and wrote the first sentence and saw that it was already up on Twitter. So. Um, you know, that's kind of how quickly things go in recruiting. And, and, uh, and so Princely makes it uh, push Texas into the number uh, six spot in the country. And all of a sudden they're knocking on the door of that elite territory. Yeah, Mike, we, we talked about this before we recorded. Like, we'll kind of go rapid fire for the most part on these guys. Uh, and we can dive into it later. But uh, you covered a lot of ground there. And I think the thing that's important to point out when you look at Malcolm Roach, I think what Todd Orlando and Oscar Giles really want, they want, you know, 290 to 300 pound guys that can play multiple shades. And you'll see Roach, as you saw him in the Sugar Bowl, 
even at times playing over the ball when they go to like you know a speed package, kind of their version of a NASCAR package. If you think about you know what the Giants did back in the day when they had you know Michael Strahan and OCU Manure, Justin Tuck, and they would go with that NASCAR package, uh, you're going to see Texas do something like that with their front. But you know, Mike, when you look at the kind of the headline coming out of fall camp right now is that running back position and the injuries start. I say starting to pile up, but when you've got four scholarship backs and two of them are on the shelf, that to me qualifies as piling up. With Princely committed, do you see any way Texas goes back in on Taj Brooks? Um, maybe, but I, I don't know. I you know I I just don't think that they feel he's a fit in what they do offensively. Um, and I think that things are tr- starting to trend really well with Ty Jordan. Um, I yeah. can't see him taking more than two running backs, especially having B. John Robinson on board. You know, I think that you can sell uh, Ty Jordan to Robinson as he's a speed guy. He's going to be able to play a bunch of different positions for us. He's going to have spell you for carries and things like that. I don't know if you could sell like three backs to to B. John Robinson. So um, I think I, I think it would be tough for me to see Brooks coming in. I do actually like Brooks a lot. I think he is a very capable back. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Sure. I, you know, I don't know enough about what Matt Wells does offensively. I think that I would love to see Brooks almost in like a Big Ten offense um, to see what he could do. But I think he, there's a chance he could end up being a real quality player. Yeah, hybrid spread. I think with Matt Wells uh, and Neil Brown at West Virginia, you know, we talked about it with Matt and Rod, and I've written about it on the site and talked about it whenever I can. That's kind of the phrase you'll hear, I think, from now on with these new guys coming into the league. Hybrid spread. Mike, the only thing hybrid about Ethan Pouncey uh, is that he's a hybrid in terms of a guy that can put points on the board uh, on defense. Had eight interceptions as a junior. I believe three of them were returned for touchdowns. Uh, the brother of Jordan Pouncey, four-star cornerback out of Winter Park, Florida. This one, it, it's weird how the trade-off works. So we haven't talked since the Chris Thompson commitment to Auburn went down, but you know, Chris Thompson was a guy that Texas felt really good about. He ends up going to Auburn. Ethan Pouncey is a guy that Auburn felt really good about. He ends up going to Texas. And, Mike, the trade-off is Texas gets a corner that, as our analysts at 24-7 Sports have pointed out, Charles Power included, might have some of the best junior tape of any corner prospect in the country. Yeah, I really love his, um, you know, just his ball skills. His ball skills are fantastic. Um, his tape is like the first six minutes of it is just him returning pick sixes. Um, yeah. And people will say, well, that's a highlight tape. Well, it's really impressive to be able to have six minutes of footage of pick sixes to put on there. It means you've, you've done a little something. So, um, you know, I think that, Texas really needed that one after losing out on on Jahari Rogers earlier in the cycle and kind of you know being an impasse in cornerback recruiting. Um, you know, Pouncey is a guy that I think fans cried out forever for Texas to offer, and I'm not sure why it took them, you know, as long as it did. Especially, you know, obviously they're familiar with him. They've got his family on campus. From everything I've ever heard, Jordan Pouncey's been nothing but a great citizen and a great member of the team since he's been on on campus. So. Um, you know, I think that that's as, as good of an endorsement for him as you can have. Yeah. And, uh, you know, getting him and just out of the blue talking to a source, it was literally like he called at nine o'clock on, uh, what was it, a Monday or something, and, and was like, hey, I'm doing it now. And so nobody really had any advance notice. Um, you know, he called and informed the staff and just told him, hey, I'm doing it now, and then immediately tweeted it. So uh, another big win, big uh, rangy guy, you know, the kind of type they like at corner. Reminds me a, a little bit on tape, actually, of Holton Hill. Um, I can just, see that, yeah. I can you know? see that. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, I think 
that it, when you put him and Keaton Crawford together, that's a really, really quality pair of corners uh, you've got there. Yeah, so let's just cover the secondary real quick, Mike, and I, we'll stick on it because uh, Jared Thompson, the uh, four-star safety out of Lufkin, went ahead and committed. Over the weekend, this one's been trending Texas for a while. We've talked about him in this segment on the Blitz that you know he's a guy that once Texas offered, it really seemed like, okay, now it's only a matter of time before he jumps in the boat. But you know, you've got two corners, and you've got a kid in Thompson who's kind of a safety nickel guy. Give me your 30,000-foot view on this DB class, and, and, and give me your thoughts on Thompson a little bit. It's a really tough class to recruit because the thing is, is if you keep stacking talent, they keep using that against you. Yep. You know, last year it was like, well, Texas is going to have to take a down class because, you know, they took so much in, in 2018. They took a historic safety class that, you know, they lost out on guys early like Brian Williams, and Devonnie Richardson, and, you know, they're going to have to go to their backups. Well, then their backups ended up being uh, five-star players by the end of things. And, you know, Chris Adamore is a guy who I think probably came in with the least uh, the least heralded guy coming in who I think actually has a really good chance to be a good quality player for Texas. So, you know, it's, a, again, another year of, well, you know, they can't, you know, they've struggled with safeties this year. But landing Jaron Thompson, who was a quiet, very quietly, just not a guy we anyone ever talked about, but a four-star player. Um, you know, I had seen him a couple of times, but he was just not on anyone's radar. And I think that, um, you know, getting him in, he gives you a lot of versatility. Um, he's not quite the physical presence that Chris Thompson is, although he plays like it. He'll throw his body around the same way. He just doesn't have the same frame. Um, he's not the, you know, maybe the ball hawk that some other guys are. Uh, as far as, as as elite speed, but he does have very good speed. Time to four six one on the laser, which you know people are like that's slow, and those people just don't know anything about high school football, right? And uh, you know I think he can play all three safety positions, so a lot of versatility there. I think they're just so good at identifying backup options and secondary options that you know it's you're never going to be able to do it completely, and and we've seen them have to you know kind of struggle on defensive line to find some guys, but seems like in the secondary, at least, when they miss out on their primary guys, they've been really good at finding some secondary options. Now, what, the 40 time is good, but wasn't Jaron Thompson's shuttle, Mike, wasn't it something like 4-2 flat on the shuttle? Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I mean, look, when you got a guy that shows that kind of short area quickness who's willing to throw his body around and, you know, you've got a verified 40 time to back it up and then you look at the offers he had, I mean, it's – I, I really like this take. And like you said, I mean, last year's a, a really good example of that. And, and, you know, you look at how 2019 recruiting went in the secondary. You know, Tyler Owens was a kid that blew up. I mean, our guys are 24-7 sports. You know, Barton Simmons, Charles Power, uh, all the national guys just kind of fell in love with him down at uh, down at the All-American Bowl in San Antonio. And, and you mentioned Chris Adamora. You know, he's a guy that, you know, in the, the practice windows we've gotten during fall camp, you know, when we're just kind of sitting around waiting for the the post-practice media availability to start, and we'll start just talking about guys, it's amazing how many people will mention Chris out of more like, hey, I really like that kid. I thought he looked good. And, you know, to your point about safety depth in any year, and I think I've mentioned this a lot, so take a shot if you've heard me say this before, but in any other year, you go out to practice and see those guys and be like, hey, they're going to be in the two deep, and maybe they're pushing for playing time. Man, I don't know if they're going to crack the two deep this year. I, I think they're both probably going to be Owens specifically because of the size size speed combination. Both those guys are probably just going to be special teams guys, unless something 
really, really off the rails happen. So and they're stacking talent, but they're they're still able, even when, like you said, Mike, when the top options fall off the board um, or guys they really like, they're able to to move on guys. And, and I think that's a credit, too, to how the staff recruits. I mean, it's not like they're having to get on their hands and knees and, and crawl back to kids and, and, you know, the kids upset, well, you know, you – you turned me down. I wasn't good enough at that point, and, and now I am. And, you know, having covered recruiting towards the end of the Mac Brown era, that tended to happen a lot. And I think even Charlie Strong's staff, there were some bridges that, that, that had to be mended in some of those situations. But it's, it's really remarkable, not just they've been able to identify those guys, but how kind of seamless they've been able to move from, you know, one guy on the board to another without, at least on the surface, having any real issues. Well, just even in the case of Jaron Thompson, you know, Texas could have offered him and maybe not taken a commitment earlier in the cycle and then would have had to gone back and beg him. But what they did was they were just very honest with him and said, we like you a lot, but we like these other guys more. And, you know, if something doesn't work out with them, we'd like to come back to you and we'd like to make this offer when we're ready to accept your commitment. And I think that honesty plays these days. Yep. Uh, you know, you see so many, so many times guys that have the rug pulled out from under them or are not able to commit or get their scholarship pulled, something like that. And so I think, you know, being able to, to just say, hey, here's where we are, and you know when we come back to you with an offer, it's a good offer. You don't have to worry about what if. And I think that that really played with him. So that's obviously, you know, how they do it with – with uh, did it with him, and I think they've done that, you know, effectively with a lot of their other backup options. But they've got a chance to, to you know, with Pouncey and um, – and, uh, and Keaton Crawford and adding Jared Thompson. They're still in it for Xavier Alford. Uh, sounds like things are trending very well for Josh Eaton. You know, got a chance to, to close out a good secondary class that's both athletic. You've got some high ceiling in there. You've got some uh, tangible productivity in there. You've got a little bit of everything. Gosh, man, I was just thinking if, if they land Eaton, if you look at Pouncey, Crawford, and Eaton, that's a hell of a corner class, man. And that's, I mean, in, in to, to what we've been talking about, when you can miss on a guy like Jahari Rogers and have some options fall off the board, and if you can end up with those three guys as your corner takes, man, you'll take that six days a week and twice on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Getting guys like, I think Crawford, I've said all along, has a chance to be maybe the best guy in the state at corner when it comes, you know, when all is said and done, when these guys' careers are over. I think we could look back and say, man, Keaton Crawford really was that dude. Um, Pouncey's obviously, you know, a, a highly regarded player. And then, you know, Eaton is a guy that has a tremendous ceiling. He's so big, he's long, but he's really fast too. You know, really explosive, straightforward. And I think he, all he needs is just some training, somebody to help him, coach him, let him sit for a little while and learn behind guys like Jalen Green and Anthony Cook and Kenyon Watson. And, um, you know, you could really turn him into something. Man, I just keep thinking about camp and, and names you're rattling off. And Kenyatta Watson, that's another guy that he's not really, air quotes, in that corner competition, at least right now. But, man, that's some of these guys in this freshman class, Mike, they're guys you want getting off the bus first, and, and he's definitely one of them. Uh, so let's go ahead and reset, just reset the defensive board here before we move on to 2021, and then I want to talk some offense at the time we've got left. So you've got two corners. You mentioned – Joshua Eaton, Texas is still pushing for him. Do you think it's Xavier Alford or Bust at safety at this point? Yeah, I think so. I think they would circle back on a guy like Chris Thompson if something happened with Auburn. Um, but he's very unique in that he can play that joker role. 
Right. I think if you know, if, uh, other than that, I don't think they're going to take guys just to take them. Um, they're not going to reach for guys. They've got enough depth there. They don't. It's not like they need safety numbers, you know. Right. They they could take. They've got guys they can cross train. You know. They. I feel like they could almost. They feel that way with all their guys. Maybe with the exception of Pouncey. Uh, I think that they feel Crawford could be a cross-trained guy who could play nickel, could play safety if he needed to. Um, so I think they're they're happy with the the versatility in that class. I think that they feel they've got enough high-end quality of what they want, and so I, I don't see them just reaching for a guy just to take an extra body. Okay, so there's your look at the secondary. D-line, I mean, it's Collins or Bust, right? Absolutely, especially after today. I mean, there were, we, we were questioning if they would have enough room to take Princely. If he decided in October after Alfred Collins maybe made a decision or told right. Texas where he was at, obviously they took him. They're not going to turn down Alfred Collins. So uh, it, it's Collins and then close up shop unless we we would be talking. I mean, you know, some guy who is I, I don't have like our rankings pulled up off the top of my head, but some five star freak in in you know the southeast or something wanted in. I can see it. Yeah, basically, basically you get Brian into this. wanted in. They probably. <laughs> Yeah, you you basically get into that that point where it's like, okay, this guy's just too good to turn down. Like, and I know it was a it was a pipe dream, no pun intended. But I remember when there was talk about you know Laramie Tunsil wanting to make a visit back in the day. What was that, two thousand thirteen or fourteen, whatever cycle that was? And you know, yeah, Texas pretty much had no shot to get him. But it's like, well, I mean, don't you if he's interested, don't you kind of at least have to entertain the fact that. Maybe you might want to get him in for a visit. And I think the same thing with guys like Dalvin Cook and guys we've seen through the years. Maybe, like you said, if if I mean if if they get if they get Collins, and obviously you know you can shut it down and feel really good about it. But I feel really good about it. I mean that would be one of the better D line halls I've seen a program in the state of Texas have since I've been doing this. But um, you get the point. It would have to be something. If it's not Collins, it would have to be something that's just too good to turn down. Which Mike brings us to linebacker, and this is a really interesting position because if we're counting. Prince Dorba is a B backer. Uh, you know, I, I actually, you know, we talked about t- the honesty of the staff going a long way. I mean, before uh, Brennan Scott, the the linebacker from Dallas Bishop Dunn, before he committed to Kansas, you got with him, and he basically told you that the staff was pretty upfront with him that they just no longer had room to take his commitment. Yeah, they had told him about a month before he made his commitment, which is my fault for just not ever checking in with him. Um, during that time, you know, I was kind of giving him some space because I talked to him a lot during the spring and said. You know, we'll circle back once the season starts and you want to make that commitment. And so when he announced that he was making his commitment, I asked him um, and uh, and and he just said, yeah, they told me there's there's no more room. Um, so anywho, um, sorry, getting some text there from from somebody. But, um, yeah, I think that the, the honesty goes a long way. I think there are guys that they would take at linebacker, um, but they did see Brendan Scott as a bit of a B backer, maybe. And okay. so I'm not sure that, you know, that they're, they're said that spot's full. I think if a guy like Josh White wanted to come off of his LSU commitment, they would take him in a heartbeat to play inside at Rover. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the case where they could have probably won that recruitment in regular time had they played it better. I don't think they played that recruitment as well as they could have. Um, just taken too long to offer. And, well, you know, LSU was, was gaining a lot of ground at the beginning. Um, but I, it, I think they're also counting Juwan Mitchell back to this class almost. Um, yeah. As a Even though he's already on campus and I guess in a pinch would would play this year. I don't know how he's looked. I mean, I would I would say he's probably going to redshirt. Just guessing. 
Yeah, I mean, he's he's still kind of figuring out. And, and I think one thing that if you haven't picked up on it, or you speaking of the the, the Texas fans listening to this podcast, and I, I've written about it enough at the site, Todd Orlando's not going to have a deep linebacker rotation. I mean, it's not like it was under Charlie Strong where it's like, okay, third series, uh, you know, second group get in there. I mean, if you're a starting linebacker for Todd Orlando and, you know, let's say you're facing 80 plays, you're probably getting – 65 70 snaps in a game i mean those guys are playing a lot uh so he might only use especially those inside guys he might only use a rotation of like three guys and i think the fact too that you know if i think they position themselves well like if Jawan they decide Jawan mitchell's not ready and if for whatever reason you know they decide that maybe caleb johnson's not ready uh or you know they want a red shirt marcus tillman i mean you've got tillman who's a true freshman david bend is a true freshman uh, Johnson's a, a three to play two transfer. Uh, t- uh, Mitchell's a, a, a four to play three transfer. So they've got a lot of flexibility in that linebacker room right now. And I think the good thing that I've heard on Jawan Mitchell is he's a guy that you know they feel like he he belongs when they just watch him just from the offseason conditioning when they just watch him run around. What I was told is he, he's a guy that at least looks like he belongs at that level. Yeah, and and I think that they, I, I, people always worry about linebacker. I get it that it's thin right, right now, but I think it's thin because there's just no older guys. There's a lot of young bodies there. Yeah, and they're always, you know, when I when I broke the news about Brennan in, in in you know linebacker spots being done, everybody freaked out, and I was just thinking like they took like five linebackers last year. Like I get it that the Gabriel Floyd's future may be in jeopardy. Who knows what's going to happen? But still, I mean, when you talk about Caleb Johnson and Marcus Tillman. Uh, David Benda, you know, Jamal Mitchell, the, there's bodies there. It's not like they yeah. need to take four or five every year at that position. Yeah. And, and they, I, they're going to spend a, a majority of the time playing like one or two on the field. Exactly. And, you know, Benda's a guy that I wrote about this summer who I heard had really impressed the strength staff. And then I think this staff really likes what they got with Marcus Tillman. I, I, that would, to me, Mike, was a really good evaluation because – you, know, you you heard about maybe some schools in the state of Florida maybe backing off a little bit. I know he was committed to Florida at one time, and then with the staff change, maybe that offer wasn't committable or whatever. But man, you start watching the tape and and seeing like, and I, I just again, I think that just shows you how good this staff is at evaluating guys. And and I think for the most part, it's because whether it's Craig Niver and Jason Washington when they've been at places like Rice and and Texas State, and I think Niver was at Kentucky for a year. You know, Todd Orlando's been at, at FIU and, and Utah State. Uh, you know, Oscar Giles spent, I think, a year, maybe two, at Louisiana Tech. These guys have been to places where, hey, you're not going to get four and five star kids. You've got to evaluate really, really well uh, and trust your eyes. I think Tillman's one of those guys that, uh, at least right now, based on the early returns from camp, looks like it's been a good evaluation. But now I think, uh, you know, that just speaks to it. So basically, what we're saying is, they could have Prince Dora as a B backer, and basically that could be it for them at linebacker in this class. Right. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, as we kind of shift to offense, Mike, and looking at what's left at this point, I mean, Jaden Hullaby's a guy that could factor into that linebacker mix, I would imagine. It, if they decided they wanted to put him there, I mean, he's a guy that, again, I, I don't know where his body's going to go, where it's going to lead him to, but I think kind of a little bit of everything's got to be on the table for him right now. Oh, absolutely. I, he, uh, you know, he's, I saw him, like I mentioned, I saw him at Prime 21. He looks way bigger. Um, obviously, they kind of like him as a possibility as an, an H-back, but I think it's just as likely he could end up at linebacker. The only problem I have with that is 
if the guy's never played linebacker and I don't know what his mentality is or his, you know, his disposition, it's hard because, you know, you do have to have a certain uh, attitude to play defense. And if a guy's not into it, it doesn't matter how athletic or anything he is. Um, you know, you have to have that mindset to play defense. So I, I don't know anything about, um, you know, where he stands with that. But um, I think that, I think that, you know, there's a good chance he uh, probably ends up on offense, but defense is not out of the question at all. So running back has been taken care of with, with Bijan Robinson. We know quarterback is done. Uh, what's your take on the offensive line right now, Mike? Um, I think the offensive line class is done. Again, barring the number one offensive tackle in the country saying, I would like to come there. Uh, I think that they've got the guys they want. They've got a good core group they really like. Uh, I see a lot of – I try not to pay attention to what opposing fans say on Twitter, but I see a lot of people really sleeping on Logan Parr, Jake Majors, and I think that those two guys are really good quality football players. Um, you know, guys that you would like to have in any offensive line group. You'll get Jalen Garth, who I think has probably the highest ceiling. Him and him and Andre Karich have the highest ceilings and could grow into tackles. That's a, it's a really strong class. And, you know, it sets up perfectly for what is a loaded 21 offensive line class where they've already got to commit and, you know, can go into the in there and, and land the number one offensive tackle in the country. I mean, that's going to be a very, very on the table thing next year with, uh, with Tommy right. Brockman. Yeah. So just to kind of wrap up the 2020 board on offense. Uh, we'll 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 kind of stick Hollaby in that tight end ish mix for right now. It's just kind of a jumbo athlete on offense, but no, you're going to sandwich this uh, this 20 class with a really good tight end class and 19 and a really good tight end class on paper in 21. Mike, that really leaves you with the receiver. I mean, Ty Ty Jordan is kind of a running back slash H, and then. Uh, you know, guys like Quentin Johnston and just whatever they figure out to do at receiver to close it out. Yeah, um, I think that obviously the prize right now is Quentin Johnston. And it sounds like as we're sitting here, uh, things are starting to, to boil down in that recruitment. Quentin said he wants to make a commitment before his, his senior season. What's funny is all a, a bunch of guys have suddenly said that. And I told somebody today, I'm like, you guys realize you have like two weeks to do that? You need to do it. <laughs> next two weeks is or this thing's going to start. Um, and so, yeah, I think that um, Quentin Johnston is, is a, a freak athlete receiver, a guy that, that fits just everything Texas wants and a big, long guy who can jump, guy who can run, he can go deep, take top off of a, of a defense. And um, that's, he's the prize. He's the, the gold standard. I think that uh, Javian Hester from, from Tulsa is, is another guy that, that is trending very well for Texas. And I think that they would take him absolutely right now um, if he wanted in. And then really LV Bunkley Shelton's kind of the Swiss army knife um, in the, in that whole deal. He is a guy that could play Z. I think he could play H. I think I, I'm not sure he'd be an X, but um, a lot of versatility there and just a really, really good natural receiver. So um, I think that the receiver picture will come together. Maybe the last group to come together, but when you really think of it, this class is down to the end now. We've gone from Texas is way behind. They have no no commits, and, and everything is falling apart, and our heads, our pets' heads are falling off, too. We're, I'm at a point where I'm starting to look at things thinking, I don't know if I'm going to be able to write who's next uh, five guys. Articles right. right. Like you said, I think those, those three receivers you mentioned, um, 
Ty Jordan, Xavier Alford, Alfred Collins, Joshua Eaton. That's pretty much it. Yeah, so we're talking seven guys. Seven guys, seven yeah. Guys. Which, then, I mean, at 15 commitments puts you at, at, at 22, and we figured the ceiling for this class, at least on paper, was going to be around 23, and maybe with attrition, maybe, you know, I, I forget off the top of my head how many they can roll back. It's not that many, but um, or maybe it's none. I don't know. I gotta, I've got to look again. But, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe with attrition you can add an, another guy or two. But, yeah, this is this is pretty much what it is going into the season. Yeah, so it's things have turned around very quickly. Um, I, I hope, you know, if everything holds together and, and they sign this class that they've got, plus add the guys that they're expecting to add, I, I hope that people learn next year. And they won't. Like in, in May, I'll be fielding the same questions about why this staff can't recruit and why they're getting beat. Um, but I hope people learn, like, Steph knows what they're doing. They've done a pretty good job. They may miss on, a, on an initial guy, but they're going to figure out something else, you know? And so... I don't know. I mean, you've covered recruiting for a long time, Jeff. Do recruiting fans ever learn to stop panicking? Well, no, and it's kind of the opposite of when I started covering recruiting, which you know was kind of in the the end of the heyday under Mac. And man, uh, I've said it before. You know, with the 2010 cycle in particular, that's the one that you know I really got to know guys in that class well ahead of the the cycle starting. Um, man, you got to the summer, and it was pretty much like. Jackson Jeffcoat, Jordan Hicks, and Mike Davis didn't even come on the scene until like he committed uh, during that banquet weekend. He was committed to LSU the whole time, uh, and they were kind of hot and cold on DeMarco Cobb. So, yeah, going into the summer, there were really only like four or five guys left that they had a real chance to go get. So um, it, it's changed a lot. But, yeah, I mean, I, you know, look, people are always going to freak out. And I, I think, Mike, that to me, and I'm not as engulfed in it, you know, as you are at this point, I think a lot of the angst has to do with the fact that, you know, when Texas A&M seems to be surging in recruiting, it tends some, for some reason, it tends to be at a time where things are quiet for Texas. And I think that's just, that just ups the ante for fans a little bit, just in terms of the, the freak out factor, uh, because those teams don't play on the field anymore and recruiting. That's really the only bragging rights one program can have over the other. So that's why you see, you know, we, we, do we get, you know, we get the tweets from Aggie fans all the time about the conspiracy with rankings and yada, yada, yada. And it's it's always the dumbest thing I've ever heard anytime you get it. But I, I think that rivalry and the state of it, uh, I think that's got a lot to do with why there's so much freaking out in, in, you know, May and June. Yeah. So hopefully you guys learn this is how they do. They're pretty good. They got a plan to know what they're doing. So just relax. Yeah. So, uh Mike, we will uh, we'll pick this up again next week. I promise. Next week, we will get into Billy Bowman. We will get into Derek Harris Jr. because those both of those guys in that twenty twenty one class, which by the way, the twenty one class right now is the number two ranked class in the country uh, in that cycle according to twenty four seven Sports based on the composite rankings. We'll get into both those guys next week because they deserve more time than we're going to give them right now. And who knows, Mike? Maybe we'll have another verbal commitment to talk about. But yeah, anything as far as a parting shot you want to get off before we wrap this up? It would not surprise me if we're talking about at least one, maybe two. I'm trying to do the math in my head, two to three more new guys next week. Uh, you know, I think that they're on a roll right now, and when you're on a heater, you don't walk away from the table. You take every everybody that wants to come at this point. 
Um, so, you know, just stay on that heater. And, uh, you know, all they got to do is back it up during the season. I'm really interested. You know, I'm really interested to see the LSU game. Obviously, I think LSU is a much more quality team than USC was last year. Yeah. But I well, know that's a, that's an understatement of the year so far. Right. But, I, you know, going into the season, all I heard from sources were was just overwhelming confidence. I mean, literally from almost from the moment they left the Coliseum two years ago. Yeah. was we're going to beat them, beat the wheels off this team next year. And I'm hearing not not the overwhelming sense of it this year, but, you know, a lot of people, I think, believe in, in Tom Herman's ability and man. You know, when I look at that, I, I always want a great game because I'm a college football fan. Love to see a, a big win. But for me, I mean, that's just that's that's a bonanza when it comes to recruits who will be at that game. And let me tell you, big time recruits, they don't always love to answer the phone. They love to answer the phone on a night like that um, and tell you about their experience at the game. The It was like fishing with dynamite after the Sugar Bowl when we were running down. <laughs> so um that's what i'm looking forward to if they can pull off a big win like that love having a, a big event a big game like that to where i can really sink my teeth in it with recruits because that'll let us ride for two or three weeks just on on guys answering us on stuff and, and wanting to talk about you know what texas is doing you gonna try to go down to uh down to the atx for that one mike no because i don't want to pay fifteen hundred dollars a ticket or whatever i i heard they were going for um Here's the funny thing. I may not be in front of my TV for it. Uh, I might be at Duncanville versus Washington, D.C., St. John's that night, which is going to be a huge game um, on a Saturday that's being kicked off like at about the same time. I don't know what I'm going to do about that yet because I really want to go see Duncanville against that team. I would like to see Jaquin and Jackson against that team, but obviously don't want to miss Texas LSU either. Actually, the Duncanville game is a televised game, so there's a chance I just record it. But, um, yeah, so we'll see. Um, if that's the case, though, I, it means I'm going to have to jumble my schedule again and rearrange to get Duncanville back in there somewhere. So it, it's almost useless making a schedule <laughs> as early Dude, as I it, it is, man. It is. I saw when you put that out. I'm like, man, you, you should see some of the schedules back when I was on the road doing it. And there's stuff crossed out. And, you know, somebody recruit gets hurt. So I can't I don't really want to go to that game. Now i got to find another game. And if it's a if it's a Thursday game or a Saturday game, good luck at that point finding one worth going to. So, yeah, it can be a nightmare. Yeah. And it's it's a necessary because I have to plan travel. I need to let my wife know, like, hey, this week I'm this weekend I'm going to be in Houston and, and things like that. But it's even like with commitments and stuff, you know, obviously with Jaquin and Jackson, Duncanville was always going to make the schedule, but I was also like, oh, I'll be able to see Jaquin and I'll see Chris when I thought Chris was going to be a Texas commit and, you know, things like that happen. So, I mean, there's a couple of commitments that could go down the next couple of weeks too that could change the complexity of it. And already I'm trying to figure out how to get like Lufkin onto the schedule because they weren't originally on there. But, you know, yeah. I, I also have a strategy of like, if it's a team like Lufkin, I'll catch them in the playoffs. If I know they're going to be in the playoffs, I'll catch them in the playoffs. So, yeah, and that, that cuts both ways because, you know, that El Paso trip, that haul for you from from uh, good old Tarrant County all the way to El Paso, you know, now you got it. Well, you're, you're going to fly, so it's not that bad. So it's really figuring out fly plane plans. The plane tickets but, are booked. The yeah, plane tickets but, are booked already. And, and, and with Bijan, man, that, that is a that is a must-travel-to affair for, you know, folks in the in the market to cover recruiting. So. Yeah, so, and, and for instance, I'll see Alfred Collins week one. Because Alfred Collins' team, from what I understand, will not make the playoffs. So there's certain schools; those are priorities to get in during the regular season. I can always like I won't see Lake Travis during the regular season, but I right. know that 
Lake Travis is a guaranteed to at least go four rounds. So I'll have time to catch them in the playoffs. All right, that is going to do it for this week's edition of Longhorn Blitz. Big thanks to Mike. Big thanks to Travis, the best damn videographer in the podcast game for doing his thing. Good show, gentlemen. We will do it again next week. Matt, thanks for everything, man. Uh, You're more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 104.9, 1019 AM, 1260, streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com where you can get Rod B on the Rodcast each and every weekday from 1 to 3. Shameless plug. Don't forget to like us and leave us a review. You can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and the Android Store, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. And thanks to Matt, you can go to Archives, Classic Shows, Classic Interviews on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Just type in Longhorn Blitz. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. We will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.